Good morning. Who is the man that you want to be? And what kind of man do you desire to be? Is it William Wallace? The Scottish resistance leader um, against the, the brutal and oppressive King Edward, um, represented by Mel Gibson in the movie Braveheart. And that might seem random, but I bring that up because I was talking with a guy this past week. I, I, we, I don't even know how the movie came up, but we were talking about it. And we were just talking how after you watch a movie like that, where a guy just steps up, sacrifices so much that it just kind of compels you to want to be a better man, to be a, a, better, a better husband, a better father. And maybe for you, it might be a certain book you read, a certain show that it just kind of compels you. Like, I want to be a better mother. I want to be a greater, better grandparent. I want to be a better Christ follower. It just kind of calls us up. And I also think about when we read scripture too. When we read about husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave him himself up for her. Or when you read about the godly wife and mother in Proverbs 31, where it says that the heart of her husband trusts in her. Or in Ephesians, where Paul says to honor your parents, and there's a promise that comes with that. And the, the scripture just calls us up this great challenge of following Christ, all of these different commands. This is a great thing set up before us as a Christ follower, as a husband, a father, mother, wife, child, student, co-worker, employee, employer, just lays this all, this great calling for us. And many times, as time passes, as you've read these, these commands, these challenges from Scripture over and over, and you've had enough time to, to see how far we have to go just to, just to be that person for one day, it can become very discouraging. Especially when we've tried and tried to become that, that husband, that mother, that grandparent, that student that we want to be. And we know that God wants us to be as well. We see that wide gap between who we are and who we want to be. In the passage today, Paul lays out this key to spiritual growth, this key to become that person God calls us to be. Because I know who I want to be, and I'm far from it. I know that you know who you want to be as a mother, as a grandparent, and we are far from it. But Paul lays out this key to what that looks like. And so turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. If you recall, as we've been going through this, Paul is writing back to a church that he started back in um, the, the Mediterranean region area. And after he planted it and he left on to go to other places, there's false teachers that came in behind him and started telling these the Galatians, who he's writing to, that, hey, Jesus is not enough alone. Grace is not enough alone. The cross is not enough alone. They were teaching them that you have to keep the Mosaic law. You have to be doing these things in order to be right with God, in order to continue to be right with God. And so Paul, we've been seeing through chapter 1, chapter 2, Paul defends the gospel that he says, that it's by grace alone. He defends his apostleship, his authority, in order to defend the gospel that he preaches. 
In the last week, we saw that Paul lays out the heart of his gospel, justification by faith, that being how we are made right with God. And Paul lays this out in complete opposition to what the false teachers are saying. And Paul will continue. He will continue to elaborate on justification by faith, as we'll see in the next coming weeks. And he does a little bit here in our passage where he ties it to the experience of the Galatians. But it's within this passage that Paul lays out this truth, that we extract this truth of what it looks like to really grow as a Christian, to grow as that man and woman, um, the student, the Christ father we want to be. And before we get into this, I want to give get a picture of Paul's tone. So look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. The first few words, what does it say? Say it back. What is it? It's exciting. Yeah, you fools. You fools. How foolish. He says, oh, foolish Galatians. Chapter, uh, verse 3, what does he say? Are you so foolish? Are you so dumb. Verse 4. He says, have you done this all in vain? So that's the tone that he's using here. So it's a pretty heated passage here. You fools, he says. He's passionate. He's getting very personal. He almost has to press a dagger into them to make his point. So that's what we're looking at. Remember, these are the people that Paul started saying, I am amazed that you have so quickly, quickly departed from him who has called you to his gospel of grace. And it's in this passage we get that, that key to spiritual growth. And it's, it's right here. The key is, and we'll see it in verse 3, is to le- live each day relying on the spirit and not yourselves. Live each day relying on the Spirit and not yourselves. Simple, right? Nope, the Galatians weren't doing it. On the day that Jesus is betrayed and arrested, in John 15, it records that Jesus really emphasized this to his disciples. And we'll look at that too. But it's not easy at all, who can admit. And so today, what I want us to, what we're going to do here is that we're going to look at what it means to rely on the Spirit. Because Paul lays out here that this is how we are to grow as Christians. And so we'll do three things. Number one, we'll look at the beginning. We'll look at how we began by the Spirit, how we began a Christian life. Number two, we're going to look at how easy it is to fall away, as the Galatians were doing. How easy it is to, to not be growing. And then number three... We're going to lay out what does that mean? What does that look like to continue relying by the Spirit each day? And so let's read Galatians uh, chapter 3, verse 1. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? I'm going to end there, and a lot of your translations may have verse 6 tied with this paragraph. Uh, Next week, we'll see that that ties actually a lot better in that following paragraph. 
Just a quick note. But the first point here. So looking at, okay, Paul, the key to the spiritual growth, to becoming more like Christ, to be that husband, that father, mother, grandparent, co-worker, employee, employer, servant of Christ, what is this key to growth? Because it is hard. And as we talked about in our Sunday school class, it is a battle every single day. So how do we do this? It's number one, looking at and understanding how we started this, this path. How is it that we began? And another side note I want to make here quick. Within this context, Paul uses interchangeably the phrases by the Spirit, by grace, by faith. Within this context of, of, of salvation, he interchangeably he uses these. Because it is by faith, by grace, by the Spirit that it became saved. And so I'm going to use these interchangeably as well. But in verse 1, Paul covers this problem with the Galatians. That they're acting like someone has bewitched them. That they've forgotten Christ crucified and the significance. And this is where we turn to in, in verse 2. Where Paul points them back to when they first began. So verse 2 he says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And so literally Paul is saying, I want to ask you this one thing. After they talked about how you left the gospel, after laying out justification by faith, how you made right only by faith, after Paul defends his apostleship and his, and his, his gospel, he says, let me ask you this one thing. And the anticipated question is, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And that might seem odd. Like, Paul, what do you mean by, like, by works of the law or by the receiving the Spirit? Like, where is this coming from, Paul? And what he's actually doing is, is asking, did you become a Christian by works of the law or by, by hearing with faith? Um, Paul says in Romans 8 9, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. The distinguishing mark of a Christian is one who has the Spirit of God. And so Paul's asking, did you receive the Spirit of God? Did you become a Christian by works of the law or by hearing with, with faith? So he's essentially saying, were you saved by, by faith or by works of the law? And the question is obvious and it's easily answered. And Paul assumes upon that they know it. Uh, two reasons why it's obvious. Number one, he literally just laid out just before this that it was by faith. It was by faith. He just laid it out. And number two, why it's obvious is because Paul's the one that preached to them. He was the one that was there. He preached his gospel that's all by grace alone, by faith alone, and by the Spirit, a work of the Spirit alone. He was there. So he knows that they receive the Spirit by faith and not works of the law. And this is what he builds upon that assumption in verse 3. He says, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Having begun by the Spirit. He, he knows the answer. They know the answer. It's by the Spirit. You began your life by the Spirit. It was completely a work of God and none of you. And so to get a grasp of this, even though just a little more, just to kind of lay it out, let me give you a list and this comes from uh, Pastor John MacArthur. Just a list of nine ways we as Christians have begun by the Spirit, a complete act of God. Number one, the Spirit convicted us of sin. Number two, the Spirit gave us the gift of repentance. 
Number three, the Spirit empowered and used the truth both from the preacher and then for those, the listeners, like me and you, to believe with faith. Number four, the Spirit regenerated sinners. He regenerated us. Number five, the Spirit indwelt us. Number six, the Spirit immersed us into the body of Christ. And then number seven, He gave us gifts for the serving of the body. Number eight, He secured us as a seal for eternal inheritance. And number nine, the Spirit has positionally separated us from the dominion of sin and from eternal death. I know I went through that quick, but I'm just trying to lay out this was all an act of the Spirit of God and not by our works or anything like this. We began our Christian faith by the Spirit, begun by the Spirit. And that's what Paul, the point Paul makes here. He says, did you receive the Spirit by works of law or by hearing with faith? No question, by hearing with faith. Now let's look at, that's the first point to the, the key of spiritual growth. He says, number one, you began by the Spirit and not works. So number two, look at how easy it is to fall away from that, to fall away from relying on the Spirit. Go back to verse one with me. Paul writes, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. In this term, um, in a lot of your translations, where it says, oh, he says, oh, foolish Galatians. And this, it's like a, uh, it shows and reemphasizes Paul's passion and care for the Galatians. It's an it's a exclamation, uh, even a hint of surprise. Oh, foolish Galatians. He had taught them the true gospel, and now this. They're turning from the true gospel. You see, he calls them foolish, kind of a hard, a hard word, fools. And what's interesting is that this word, it does not mean a lack of intelligence. It doesn't. It refers more to mental laziness or carelessness. So he's not saying you're fools. You guys don't have the knowledge. You don't have anything like that. He's saying you guys are being mentally careless and lazy. That's the word he uses here. Oh, foolish Galatians. They were taught the gospel by the Apostle Paul himself. And now it's as if they're being bewitched. And this word bewitched, I know for a lot of us, even for me, we, we think right away of like witches, sorcery. And that's not what the word, the word means. It has more of the understanding of fascinating someone with a, a false misrepresentation. I kind of think of the, the raccoon, right? Where you trap them with something shiny. They put their hand in it, but it's, it's set up with like nails and whatnot so they can't take it out. So you, you kind of fascinate someone. You bewitch something, someone with these false representations. You mislead them. You deceive them. I think about the Garden of Eden. Adam stood by as Satan bewitched his wife Eve with this fruit and this promise of being with God, but actually only brought death. He bewitched her, fascinated her with this, this lie, this, this deception. And as I was kind of sitting on that this week, I was just kind of thinking, um, they were bewitched. What today is trying to bewitch us? Because no question, there's a lot of things out there that's trying to, to fascinate us with these false misrepresentations and deceive us. And so I just, I just thought of two, two things that are trying to, trying to bewitch us today. 
Um, there's multiple, but there's just two that I kind of keyed in on. The first one is that the world, our our flesh, our pride, false teachers are trying to try to bewitch us into believing that following Jesus should lead to health and wealth, that it should be easy, that we should always be happy. It's some call this this false bewitchment of the prosperity gospel, as, as some have coined it. But it's the this idea that all will be well once you start following Christ. And no doubt, we have this joy in the Spirit. No doubt, we have joy together, but it will be hard. Jesus promises us persecution when we follow him. He promises us you will be hated by the world. So this, this lie that everything will go well, this lie that we'll be wealthy and everything will be good, is a complete lie. It's a way to, to, to bewitch us, to give us this false representation. And when we follow it, we are stunted and growing because we're just focused on ourselves. We're focused on this health and wealth and chasing this. The second thing that I thought about that's trying to bewitch us today is trying to get us to believe that following Jesus is about our emotions and feelings rather than faith and truth. Making spiritual growth about self-oriented emotions, emotions rather than scripture-oriented minds, as one pastor puts it. And there's no doubt that we... There's emotions that come with faith, no question. But it's this idea that we should pursue emotional and spiritual experiences because that's what our faith looks like. And this is very tempting, if we're, we're, we're being honest, because sometimes truth can seem kind of dry, can seem kind of academic, while emotions and experiences can seem so full and so real. But it just takes our focus off what's important. It stunts us. It makes us stuck because we're more focused on ourselves and pursuing these feelings and emotions rather than faith in God's truth. And so there's a, those are just two ways I thought about that are trying to bewitch us today, trying to deceive us, move us away from the real gospel with these false misrepresentations. And so Paul asked the Galatians, how can this be? How can you be bewitched he says, because it was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. And this word, public portrayed, doesn't mean that the Galatians were there while Jesus was being crucified. That's not what it means. And actually, it gives a picture, which was common in that day, because parchments and things around was not very common, was not, was not prevalent like it is today. So what they would do when they had an announcement for the town or the village They'd go into the the public place, the marketplace, wherever, in a public spot, and then post one in front of everyone so they can read it and they know that that's where to go to see that announcement. And so Paul is saying that Christ was publicly portrayed in front of them. Paul extolled the death of Christ. He shared the forgiveness and the, the redemption we can have in Jesus' death and resurrection. He publicly portrayed it for all the Galatians to see and hear. They know the gospel. They know it. And so Paul is saying, how is it? How is it that you have so quickly forgotten the truth of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross? I made it so clear to you. And you began by the Spirit. How is it now that you're falling away? 
He even says a very hard point, verse 4. He says, did you suffer so many things in vain? Did you experience this beginning of your relationship with God? Did you experience this excitement that you have to serve God and serve others? And maybe these hardships that came, maybe your family rejected you. Maybe you're just going through a lot of hard things at work because of your relationship with God. Did you experience all that? In vain, he says. It's almost as if Paul is doubting their salvation. But then he softens his blow with his phrase at the end, with the statement, if indeed it was in vain. He knows they began by the Spirit. He knows they're believers. But their current abandonment of the gospel was so concerning that it is as if they have lost their salvation. If they could, that is. And later, in chapter 5, verse 4, which we'll get to here um, down the road, Paul says that if you're trying to grow by relying on works on yourself, he says, he uses the phrase, you have fallen from grace. You have fallen from grace. You started with grace, and now you have left it for works that you're relying on yourself. You have fallen from grace. So we see here that the Galatians were literally on the verge of what Peter did that we saw in the last passage. That he acted in contrary to what the gospel says about justified by faith, by works. I'm sorry, by, by faith and not by works. So ask yourself, as, we, as we're in this here about falling from grace, how the Galatians did it. Have you fallen from grace? Or have you been falling from grace? Have you been denying the gospel by relying more on your works, on yourself, rather than the Spirit? Because the, the way of the world, our pride, our, our selfish or and sinful bent towards independence from God, it drives us to depend on ourselves rather than pushing ourselves to rely on Christ. And it can be easy to fall from grace, to be falling from grace in that process. So Paul points to the Galatians in this midst of this issue. He points to the Galatians. This is how you started. You started all by grace, all by faith, all by the Spirit. And now, after that, you're falling from this. You're you're relying on yourself, what you can do, rather than the Spirit. And now Paul continues that we should continue by the Spirit and end by the Spirit. And so pick up with me. At verse 5, Paul asks, another another uh, rhetorical question, he says, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing from faith? Kind of the same, the same idea before, where he says, Do you receive the Spirit by faith or by works of the law? And now he says, Does the Spirit work in you, among you, saving people, making them overcome, empower them to overcome sin, overcome temptations? Is he doing this among you? Is he working miracles, possibly referring to how the apostles are working miracles uh, among them, or even the miracle of salvation? Is the Spirit doing this because of works that you're doing or because of faith? And again, it's rhetorical. They know the answer. It's by faith. And then look at verse 3, where Paul makes the point of the key to the to, to live in the Christian life. He says this. Are you so 
foolish. Are you so dumb to believe, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Remember that list I gave you, how, how it was the Spirit's work that we were saved. It was the Spirit's work that we're Christians. It's the Spirit's work that we have, want anything to do with Christ. It's a complete act of the Spirit. And now Paul says, after the Spirit has done all that, do you really think you can grow spiritually, you can be that person you want to be by relying on yourself? After the Spirit has done all that, you think now it's time that you should, you're the one that has to do it, that it's up to you? Pastor John Piper, he mentions uh, he mentions a modern form of this false teaching with the, the saying, God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who help themselves. And this is replacing faith with works. For example, could you say that same phrase about our salvation? God saves those who help themselves. We all That's not at all. That's the exact opposite of the gospel. It replaces faith with, with works. So how can we who began by this, by faith, by grace, by the Spirit alone, now rely on ourselves instead to grow? I'm going to ask you a, a tough question here. Especially in light of our Sunday school this morning. Do you remember in a message back in September, we talked, we were looking at Colossians chapter 1 about bearing fruit. It was a while ago. I confess I had to look up and look back in my notes to see exactly what I was saying. But if you remember in it, we talked about how do we bear fruit? What's our responsibility? And the answer, which is the exact same answer as it is here on how to rely on the Spirit, is that we position ourselves to rely on the Spirit, to, to, the, to grow. And I want to kind of flesh this out. And Jesus gives a, a perfect picture of this in John 15. He gives the picture of the vine with the branches, that he's the vine and we're the branches that are, are purposed to bear fruit. He says in verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So what does it mean to rely on the Spirit and on ourselves? It's to abide in Christ to position ourselves to abide in Christ. Because when we rely on Him, only then can we grow. We trust Him, we we grow spiritually when we rely on Him and not ourselves. I want to flesh out even a little more. And so, this act of relying, because I want to be be, uh, real. What does that actually look like in our lives? And from the outside, it can sometimes look like, oh, he's doing works. He just talked about relying on the Spirit. Now he's doing works. No, let me give an example here. Prayer. On the outside, we're doing something. But as Jerry Bridges says, prayer is the tangible expression of our dependence. We would not be praying unless we know that we are dependent, that we must rely. So prayer is the tangible expression of our dependence. 
So if, if our prayer life is meager, if it's lacking, if it's sick and dying, it's barely even present, then we know that we are falling. We are in the process of falling from grace. Because prayer is how we show our dependence on God. Listen to this picture that Jerry Bridges gives us. He says this, We are not endowed with a reservoir of strength from which to draw. And it's precisely because of this that we need to pray daily for the Spirit's enabling work in us. So we don't have this reservoir set aside every day that we can draw from, the strength from. There's nothing there. There's nothing there to draw from to, to be the husband that grows, that, that leads his family spiritually, the mother who patiently loves her children, uh, kids who may not necessarily like what their parents saying, but obey regardless, to be that supportive grandparent. There's nothing there to draw from on ourselves. The tank is empty. So it'd be foolish from us to even try. But the spirit's tank is full. So our spiritual life and growth and becoming more like Christ in our marriages, families, workplaces, at school has been started by, maintained by, and will be finished by relying on the Spirit alone. And so we see that this passage, we began by the Spirit and will grow by the Spirit. And we have a tendency to fall away from the Spirit. And I'll mention again, like in our Sunday school, it's a battle. One author says, the Christian life cannot be lived on autopilot. There's a daily struggle to grasp the gospel, to grow. So I'm going to end today with just what I hope are two practical ways on what does this mean to rely on the Spirit then. And the first point is this. We already looked at prayer. Prayer is the tangible expression of our dependence. If our prayer life is not existent, then our dependence is not existent, and we know that we've been relying on ourselves. Another one that Jesus points out is in John chapter 17 when he's praying for believers, the disciples and for believers to come, me and you. He says this in verse 17, praying to God the Father, he says, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. So sanctify, becoming holy, becoming more like Christ. He says, how does it happen? Via the Bible, via God's word. And so another outward action, relying on the Spirit, is being in God's word. Whether that be like this or this morning preaching, whether that be in Sunday school, whether that be in a small group, whether that be with another person, whether that be your personal study, positioning ourselves to grow, to be that person God has called us to be, is being in the Bible. So being in God's word, because that's what he used to sanctify us, to rely on the Spirit in prayer. Number two, and this is what I'll end with. Uh, the second one is uh, the position, uh, a second way to position ourselves to rely on the Spirit is kind of a combination. I get this from uh, author Heath Lambert in a book of his called titled Finally Free. And it's a, it's a book about lust. It's about pornography. I highly recommend it. It is a fantastic book. Um, in fact, if you'd like to go through it, I would love to go through it again with you. But in it, he starts... The whole book and his first chapter on repentance. And it is phenomenal. I would have bought the book just for that one chapter. But in that chapter, he provides a helpful acronym, CAR, C-A-R. So I took it 
I, I added on to it to carb, C-A-R-B, carbohydrate, um, like where we get our energy and power from. Because I think it does, the concept of this acronym does a, a, a great job of just practically laying out what does it look like for you and me each day to be intentional at relying on the spirit and not ourselves. So let me, let me explain this. The C stands for confess. Number one, confess your sin. And number two, confess your need. Confess that you are dependent. Confess to, to God, Lord, nothing's going to happen here unless you do something. Nothing is going to happen. For apart from me, you can do nothing, as Jesus says. So confess your need. Then we get to the A, and that's affirm. Affirm your identity in Christ because of the gospel. Affirm that you are a child of God, a beloved child of God. Affirm and remind yourselves that you have been forgiven forever and that your Heavenly Father sees you and cares about you and what you're going into, the situation at hand. Then request, R, request the power of the Spirit to work. Confess your need. Affirm who you are in Christ. Request God's the God's power of the Spirit to work to empower you for that situation that you're praying about. Um, for patience as your child acts out. To have wisdom in sharing advice uh, with, with a friend. Or courage as you're going to go share the gospel with a friend at school. Or when you're going to have a, a difficult conversation with a coworker. Asking God, requesting God for, the, the, for this, this power from the Spirit. Because James says in chapter 4, verse 2, he says that you do not have because you do not ask, is what he says. You do not have because you do not ask. And asking just shows dependence, that prayer. Asking shows the dependence. So if we do not have because we do not ask, then let's ask and let's never stop asking for God's power. And then the last one, the B, is believe. Believe that he is faithful and good and that he will give you this power. That he will empower you. Jesus says, those that ask will receive. He says in Mark 11, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. He's not talking about a million dollars. Throughout scripture, he kind of qualifies the statement that ask according to God's will. And let me ask you this. Do you think being patient with your child, having that difficult conversation that will bring good about at work, um, that courage to share the gospel with friends, do you think that's God's will? Yeah, of course. And Jesus says, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And so carve, just a, a tangible way of what does it mean to rely on Christ at every moment, confess our sin, confess our utter dependence on God. If you don't do something here, I'm going to be a fool. Uh, nothing's going to happen. No fruit's going to come from here. Lord, in this, in this argument with my wife, if you don't give me the grace to be patient and to be kind, it's not going to happen. And then affirm that God does hear you because he loves you and that you're a child of God. Request, God, Lord, give me strength here. Give me courage as I'm about to share uh, with my friend who Christ is and then be believe believe that God will give it because he says he will and so carb confess your need affirm your identity request the spirit's power and believe you will receive it
So as we leave and go out into our homes, the workplaces, schools, especially this week uh, for Thanksgiving, and we all want to be that husband, that mother, that parent, that grandmother, grandfather, grandson, kid, student, employer, all of that. Let me leave you with this. Uh, a simple quote from a missionary, Hudson Taylor, which I think just gives us a, a great idea or just to leave us with relying on the Spirit. He says this in the light of God saying this to each one of us. Bear not a single care thyself. One is too much for thee. The work is mine and mine alone. Thy work to rest in me. Bear not a single care thyself. One is too much for thee. The work is mine and mine alone. Thy work to rest in me. And Father, Lord, how easy it is to, to realign ourselves, God, to grow and to go about our lives each day at home, at work. How easy and how when we're on autopilot, we will realign ourselves, God. Lord, we ask that you would transform us into a people that rely on you and who are confident, God, that you are there to be relied upon. And Lord, we ask that you would do great things through us. As you said, that when we rely on you, that's when fruit is produced. And Lord, we're confident in that. Lord, do mighty things through us in our homes, with our friends. Lord, at work, at school. Um, and Lord, as we, as we go out this week with Thanksgiving, as we connect with family and friends that we may not see all the time. Um, and we, Lord, we pray for our lost friends, our family members, that some of us will see. And God, we pray for opportunities to share the hope of Christ. Lord, give us bravery, give us courage. Um, as Peter stopped because he feared other people, we are prone to that, God. We are prone to wander. We are prone to fall from grace. Lord, help us, God. One care is too much for us. Help us to rest in you as we go about our business this week. Amen. Thank you.